Hey guys, welcome to Mosaic. I'm Erwin McManus, and I just want to welcome you from all over the world. It's such a strange thing to be here, essentially alone, but I know that um, even though I cannot see you, that in this moment we're all together and that God's presence is with each and every one of us. Last week was an incredible weekend. It was Easter weekend, and even though we, we, we missed coming together, we actually saw tens of thousands of people from all over the world join us, over 50,000 people decided to join us at Mosaic and, and step into a moment of celebrating that Jesus Christ has conquered death and has risen from the dead. What I wanted to do today was something really specific, and I've never done this before, but our own Mosaic Embassy has released their first single called Fountain, and it's created all kinds of conversation. And I, I wanted to dive into this conversation because I think it's a really important one. And let me just say up front, we knew when we released this song that it was going to create some controversy and create some conversation about what it means to be human and who we are in the eyes and the heart of God. And we felt this conversation was so important that we made this our first single out of our album, Human. And I'm going to read the lyrics before we dive in. It says, there is a fountain wrapped in a haze of light, flooded with goodness, rushing with words of life. They heal to the bone they're sweet to my soul, and I'm swept away. I am good, you say I'm good. I am worthy, wanted, loved by you. This is living, breathing proof that I am chosen, wanted, loved by you. I'm undone with love for you. There is a person, light running through his hands, speaking with kindness, brimming with gentleness. He heals to the bone. He speaks straight to the soul and I'm swept away. Within all the joy and through all of the waiting, I am undone with love for you. And I could never forget the spirit that changed me. I'm undone with love for you. I'm undone with love for you. You are the Father, love rushing through your veins, warm and devoted, tenderness filled with strength, and you heal to the bone, Speak life to the soul, and I'm swept away. And I'm swept away. And the chorus goes back, I am good, you say I'm good. I am worthy, wanted, loved by you. It's so strange that such a beautiful, powerful, healing declaration can create so much controversy within those who actually believe in the scriptures and and, and follow Jesus. And I think it's an important conversation. And, and part of it is, is, is the, the unexplainable discomfort that I think all of us probably have making that confession, I am good. You say I'm good. I am worthy, wanted, loved by you. It, it's to me so interesting that, that even inside of the context of faith, inside of the context of a relationship to Jesus Christ, We've been trained to only say negative things about ourselves and positive things about God. And of course, we know that every positive declaration about God is true and it's powerful and God is worthy of that glory and that honor. But, but somehow we think that, that what is required for God to be glorified is for us to be diminished. What, what we need to make sure we do is that we only speak positive declarations about God, but equally negative declarations about humanity. 
And yet it tells us in John, and Jesus says this specifically, that, that the Spirit of God will convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. For some reason, we're incredibly comfortable with the idea that the Spirit of God will convict us of sin. And we're really, I don't know why, but we're, we're very comfortable with, with God's Spirit convicting us of judgment. But we've completely ignored and, 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 and I think feel an incredible discomfort with this declaration that the Spirit of God will convict us of righteousness. That God will actually speak into us what is true about not only who he is, but who we are. And I think we have to realize that we are fighting the momentum of 1,500 years of a narrative about humanity through the church. From Catholicism to Calvinism, we've put the entire focus on humanity about how sinful and evil we are. And it's because of our belief that we need a proper backdrop, a contrast, to see God properly. And the scriptures are so clear that humanity is a mess, that, that we're broken, that we're sinful, that, that without God's help, we are in desperate trouble. But it doesn't mean that, that that narrative is the complete narrative of the human story. So I want us to go back to the beginning so we can get to the present, so we can move into the future and see humanity, see ourselves, so you can see yourself through the mind and heart of God. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, you know the movements. I'm sure you're familiar with them. There's day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6, and on the seventh day, God rested. And each day, God created beginning by declaring, let there be light, and finishing by breathing life into humanity. And, and each time that God finished a movement, each time said there was morning, there was evening, each time there was a day that passed, God made a declaration, it is good. And then on the sixth day, in verse 26, it's specific. It says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Then God said, behold, I, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree that has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth that has life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And then in verse 31, God culminates all this. He summarizes it all. He says, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. Now, every other day it was good, but the day that God created humanity, the day that God created us, the day that God created you, that day, God said it was very good. And I, I want us to, to realize that there is no other option for how creation could be described because God is good. God is the source of 
all that is good, and everything God does is good, and everything God creates is good, everything God touches becomes good. And so it makes sense that the entire universe was declared good, that, that the galaxies and solar systems, that this ever-expanding universe was declared good. We just, we just think of it as is, it exists, it is science, it's nature, but no, God says it's good. He looks at the sun and the stars and the moon, and he says, it's good. He looks at the, the oceans and the mountains, the rivers, the valleys. He, he looks at the, the vegetation, the wildlife, and God says, it is good. God declares what he creates as good. And then he creates us in his image and likeness, and he declares us good. And I think you have to know the beginning of the story to understand this declaration. I know why it feels so out of place to say, I am good. But you have to hear it in the rhythm of, I am good, you say, I'm good. God declared humanity good. And immediately, the argument comes, well, yes, but then we messed up everything. See, then Man and woman, Adam and Eve, they, they sinned against God. They, they, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And after that, they were no longer good. And somehow we reinterpret the scriptures. See, there is this tree of life, but then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not the tree of evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We act as if the moment we ate from that tree, somehow we were completely disconnected from the reality of the good, but it says it's the knowledge of good and evil. And so, yes, humanity severed its relationship with God. We were, from that moment forward, broken and disconnected from our creator. We were separated from the source of that which is good. But we were still created in God's image and likeness. And he still saw us for who we were always intended to be. It's interesting to me that after what we call the fall of man, in Psalm chapter 8, these are the words that are written. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Who has displayed your splendor above the heavens? And then in verse 3 on down it says, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you have ordained what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you take care of him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you have crowned him with glory and majesty. And then listen to the parallel to Genesis chapter one. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on all the earth. After Adam and Eve violated the singular command from God and severed their relationship from God, the scriptures still describe humanity as God's unique creation. He says that, God, you crowned humanity with glory and majesty. I think sometimes we, 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 we don't understand God's grace and his mercy, his intention, his goodness. And, and so then we, we create a narrative that describes more the way we would relate to each other rather than the way God relates to us. 
See, God has never forgotten our original intention. God has never forgotten where our story began. And whatever else we know about humanity, whatever else we see in the devastation of human history, and, and there's, do we need any more proof? Do we need any more proof that the human condition is desperate? Do we have to do any more research when you see war after war and violent act upon violent act, and we, we see a world in chaos and disarray. We see a planet that is defined so oftentimes by suffering and poverty and injustice and oppression. We don't need more proof that there's something wrong with us or something broken with us. We do not need more proof that we have a narrative of sin in the human story. But what we have to reclaim is who humanity always was intended to become because we're created by the God who is good. By the way, that's the narrative that God never gave up on, even when we're in our worst situation. It's odd to say that we are worthy. And, and, and I think it can be misunderstood because it doesn't mean that we've earned something. It means that we were created for something. In Jeremiah 31.3, long before Jesus ever walked this earth, we are told this, the Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. God has never stopped loving humanity. See, you, you're not worthy of love because you earn love, because love by its very nature, cannot be earned. If you earn it, it's not love. You are worthy of love, not because you worked for it, but because you were created for it. You are worthy of love because you were created by God for relationship with him. You are worthy of love because you were created for love. And to choose anything less is to relinquish your humanity. I love what Paul writes after the coming of Jesus in chapter 8 of Romans, in beginning verse 35, he says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? This is why Jesus came, to restore our connection with the God who loves us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep being slaughtered, but in all of these things we overwhelmingly are conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know it may be more than you can comprehend, but no matter what you have ever done or what you will ever do, it will not change the fact that God created you for love and created you and designed you for his love. You know, Kim and I, we, we've had the opportunity to, to raise kids, and, and really we've had three children. We've had Patty and Aaron and Mariah. And Patty's our daughter that Kim did not give birth to, but we brought home and raised for 12 years, and, and we loved her. 
and love her to this day. And I can tell you, a lot of times she did things that were not lovable. And there were days that I would come home and Kim and Patty would be fighting. And it just looked like it was going to be the end of a relationship. But love always prevailed. And you would think that, okay, maybe that's because that's the daughter that, in a sense, we adopted. But, but it was the same with Aaron and Mariah. I mean, we love our children, but there have been some hard days with Aaron and Mariah. There have been days where we fight and days where, where things go cold and days where, where there's a, a little bit of antagonism and, and conflict. And, and I can tell you, there's never been one single moment in any of their lives where I ever considered to myself, are my children worthy of my love? So you're not worthy of your father's love because you can live up to it. You're worthy of that love because of your relationship, because you're, you're designed for that love. I, I didn't love my kids once they earned it. And, and how dysfunctional would we be if we raised our kids saying, hey, you're not really worth loving, but I'm going to love you anyway? And can you imagine the psychological trauma we would actually be imposing on our children? In fact, some people have. Some of you, you know what it's like to grow up with such dysfunctional, conditional love. They just kept trying and trying and trying and trying to be loved. And so you never felt worthy of love. And a lot of your brokenness and a lot of your dysfunction and a lot of your destructive decisions are because you have convinced yourself that you are not worthy of love. But the moment you realize that you're created by God, you're created out of good, you're created out of love, that's the moment you actually begin to step into who you are. You need to know that because you're created in the image of God, you are worthy of love and you should not settle for anything less. You should not settle for just being accepted or just being tolerated or, or just being used. Some of you, you have been living in relationships that are broken and destructive and harmful and not worthy of you because you've not stepped into this reality that you have been created by God worthy of love and you need to value yourself more because God values you enough to send a son to die on a cross for you. It's interesting when I look through the scriptures and I think of the concept of even being worthy. I, I, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says this in two places in verse 5 and verses 11 and 12. Paul says, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Then verses 11 and 12, he says, To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith and power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here the scriptures are telling us God is doing a work in us that actually makes us worthy of his kingdom. Now, you, you should know you cannot earn God's kingdom, but God makes you worthy of his kingdom. And, he says, and then God's going to count you worthy of your calling. Now, you cannot earn the right or the goodness to be worth that calling. It's something that God gives you because he declares it about you. And if you're suddenly 
because of a relationship to the God who loves you, worthy of his kingdom and worthy of your calling. How in the world could you not be worthy of his love? It strikes me as so broken in the human psyche that, that the very thing we need most is the very thing so oftentimes we don't understand. It is not only what we need to connect us to God, but it's what we need to heal us from the inside out. And I know that, that this period in between the first man and, and the last man, Jesus, is a period where we can lose sight of the story of who God always intended us to be. And in fact, three times in three of the Gospels, there's a conversation where someone comes to Jesus and, he, and, and they ask him about eternal life. And each time they asked, he said, good teacher. And, and Jesus would push back and say, good teacher, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And, and, and so then in that declaration, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Only God is good. So you can't say I am good because only God is good. And that's why it's so important to always pay attention to the context. Because first of all, when Jesus says, why are you calling me good? He's pressing them because they are not acknowledging that he is God, but they are acknowledging that he is good. And what he's saying is you cannot be good apart from God. And they're asking, how do I attain eternal life? And in fact, in one of the gospels, it, it, it presses it a little more, and Jesus says, if you want to be perfect. And so here he's describing, what do we need to do to attain eternal life? And actually what Jesus is telling them is, you cannot do what needs to be done to attain eternal life. If you're trying to be good enough to earn God's love and acceptance, you'll never be good enough. But if you receive God's goodness, his goodness will make you good. In fact, what Jesus says, each time when he says only God is good, only God is good, only God is good, each time he comes back and says, oh, but what is impossible for man is possible for God. See, what Jesus is actually telling us is that we can't make ourselves good. Only God can make us good. And every ounce of goodness in us is a reflection that we've been created in the image and likeness of God. Even when it comes out of our broken and, and shattered and, 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 and inadequate selves, Jesus gives us a picture of what it's supposed to be like. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says this, the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. Wow, what a beautiful picture of who we are to become. What a beautiful picture of who we were always supposed to be. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. This is Jesus declaring it to us that we can be more, that we can be once again who God always created us to be. Listen to, his, to the words of the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now listen to what it says. So from now on, we regard no one in a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is past. All things are made new. Jesus came to recreate us, and everything God creates is good. Everything God touches is good. And now, even as Paul describes in Thessalonians, that we are now full of his goodness. So as uncomfortable as it may be, you need to get used to this new declaration of life. That you are good because God says you're good. You are worthy because God has made you worthy. That inside of you is everything you need to become everything God created you to become. God gave us, gave us everything to fulfill every desire for the goodness and the work of faith. I think it's time that we stop having just one narrative for who humanity is based on amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, I can tell you that that, that line it resonates with me as well. I can tell you that so oftentimes in my life I've just felt so inadequate and so unworthy and just so frustrated that I can't be the person that I, I, I want to be, much less that God wants me to be. But I, I'm, I'm going to decide to not agree with my emotions or even to agree with my experience. I'm going to agree with God's declaration of who I am. I am made new. He who knew no sin, the scriptures tell us, became sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Jesus came to take away the old and to make us new. He came to take out our old heart and give us a new heart. He came to make us a new creation. So in this moment, if you've entrusted your life to Jesus, if you've crossed that line of faith and, and, and if you've come to God in humility and in transparency and acknowledged your own sin, the scriptures tell us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I am good because God declares me good. I'm worthy because God declares me worthy. I'm worthy of his love because I was created as an object of his love. And so are you. And if you've never heard it before, you are the object of God's love. You are the singular passion of God's affection. And that's why God stepped into human history and died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's why Jesus walked among us. That's why Jesus even looked at the rich young ruler who asked him the question as a good teacher. And even when Jesus says, you know, go sell everything you have and follow me, it says that Jesus loved him even though he walked away. 
even if you have never chosen Jesus, Jesus has chosen you. Even if you never choose to love God, God will always choose to love you. You're created to be good, to be an expression of God's essence. You're created out of love for love. And so maybe the song isn't too far-fetched and and more than that, maybe it's exactly what your soul needs to declare. There's a fountain wrapped in a haze of light, flooded with goodness, rushing with words of life. And they heal to the bone, and they're sweet to the soul. And I'm swept away. I am good. You say I'm good. I am worthy, wanted, loved by you. This is living, breathing proof that I am chosen, wanted, loved by you. I am undone with love for you. Maybe in this moment, you know that you need that love more than anything in the world. And you're tired of living your life without this beautiful, unconditional love that only comes in Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now just to, to take a step of faith and cross the line of faith and open your life to Jesus and give your life to him. I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer right now, just one sentence, where you can receive that love and receive that goodness and let him recreate you and make you new and make you who you were always intended to be. Would you pray with me right now? Jesus, I give you my life. Just tell him right now, Jesus, I give you my life. He wants to put his life in you. He already gave his life for you. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, in a moment, one of our pastors is gonna come and walk you through your first steps. Because I want you to know that in this moment, if you gave your life to Jesus, God has come into your life wherever you are and he has made you new. So confess it, declare it, step into it, live in it, and celebrate that the God who loves and loves completely has placed his love in you. Hey guys, see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.